welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Doug Doherty. Doug has over 30 years experience in the equipment rental industry and has worked at companies such as Ray Gordon Equipment, United Rentals, and today is the CEO of Cooper Equipment Rentals. Doug, thank you for coming on the podcast today. To kick things off, can you talk about how you got into the equipment rental industry? You know, I wish I knew because uh, uh, that, that's always the question. But, uh, you know, I guess when I, uh, when I was growing up, our family had uh, an equipment rental business. Uh, actually, it was an equi- a light equipment uh, distribution and rental, which uh, was more sort of prevalent back in the 50s and, and 60s. Everybody sort of had a distribution component to their business as well. Uh, so my father and his partners had a company called Ray Gordon Equipment. I, I just remember from a very early age, you know, going with my dad on a Saturday to the to the shop, and I remember Joan, uh, the office manager there, had, you know, cookies in a, one of the drawers of her desk. So I would have a cookie and help my dad. You know, he'd give me a roll of paper from the adding machine or something to keep me busy, while uh, while he was working. Uh, you know, as I as I got older, I was able to go and help out during school holidays, that sort of thing. And uh, I, you know, I learned all the different aspects of the business um, from counting parts and doing inventory to, you know, dropping oil out of machines and helping the mechanics to, you know, scraping and painting equipment in the yard, uh, pressure washing, you know, all those different things. And then as, you know, as I got late, later in my teens and had a driver's license, I was able to take a truck and do deliveries and work summers and, um, uh, all that stuff, work on the rental counter. Uh, so, you know, it really was a very natural sort of entry into the business uh, from a very young age. Wow. So you were you were basically born into equipment rental. So, so talk me through some of the roles that you had when you were at Ray Gordon Equipment and sort of how that business evolved over time. You know, I think probably uh, I've done every job uh, at some point, you know, when I was sort of kicking around after finishing school and didn't have too much uh, direction. My dad at one point said, look, you, you got to make a decision. You're either going to come into the business or you're not, but you know, I'm not getting any younger. So I uh, came back to Toronto. I was out Western Canada at that time. And I came back to Toronto and, and went on the rental counter in, uh, in our Toronto branch, uh, Toronto, uh, Ontario. And, um, you know, learned the ropes uh, really from one of the best rental guys around at that time who worked at Ray Gordon, you know, uh, learned uh, customer service and uh, responsiveness and sense of urgency and all of those things that are still with me today. Uh, and also learned a lot about the equipment and the applications and, and uh, you know, was able to, you know, be successful in our in a outside sales position after that because I had quite a bit of equipment knowledge and I had quite a bit of customer knowledge and and so on. So I did that job for a couple of years and then I'm uh, uh, just trying to think of the progression. I came back into the shop in Toronto as a rental manager for a couple of years. So we're talking now 70s and mid to late 70s and then. Uh, we opened a branch out in Waterloo, Ontario, which was about uh, 60 miles to the west of Toronto. And uh, so I was sent out there to help with that branch. Uh, so I assisted the branch manager. You know, I met my 
my, I like to say I met my first wife, who's still my wife today. <laughs> uh, and, and we got married in uh, 1977 out in uh, the Waterloo area. And then uh, I guess right around 1980, I moved back to Toronto and um, uh, came back in as the rental manager. Actually went into an outside sales position again uh, for a while and then was brought back in as rental manager into the, uh, into the office. So that would have been 1980-ish. Uh, or so. And then at that time, we were doing a fair amount of equipment distribution and rentals. As I said, um, we'd also been in a pretty severe recession in the early 80s. And so uh, business was tough. Uh, money was tight. You know, my dad and I talked about you know how we were going to manage all that. And we had a general manager at the time who, um, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, we had to you know, cut back and, and let go. My dad was going to come back into the business and be more active on a day-to-day -day basis. And he had some health issues. He had a heart attack uh, in 82, somewhere around in there. And um, so that kind of left me there with whatever uh, amount of experience I had up to that point. And so uh, I gathered the team around and said, okay, I only know what I know and I know that's not much. So I'm going to need a lot of help here. We got a great team. We got some great people. We have a good name in the business and a good reputation. And so what do we do? And so we really focused on getting back to our core strength, which was equipment rental. And we sort of shed a lot of the equipment distribution stuff that we were doing. We worked through a bunch of inventory that was surplus at that time and really focused on equipment rentals and providing a great equipment rental service. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, uh, with that focus and with that team, we were able to build the business up between 1983 and, uh, you know, around the 1996, 97, uh, we were able to, you know, increase uh, that business by more than five, maybe six, uh, six times or so. So, you know, that was really my first experience at, you know, putting a team, working with a team and, you know, going somewhere together uh, as a team. So uh, I learned a lot from that experience. Wow. You, you really can't buy that sort of experience. And that definitely would have helped shape the person you are today. Yeah. Some, some people uh, might find this interesting, but uh, I remember conversations with my father at the time and we had some loans for equipment that were at 23% interest. Uh, you know, so you can just imagine, you know, in the, in, in these times today, we're happy if we're getting, you know, 45% dollar utilization. And so you can just imagine how that looks with 23% interest rates. <laughs> so not, not the greatest scenario. So 96, I guess was the, um, uh, was the period where I got thinking, uh, about the industry. There had been a little bit of consolidation at that point. You know, United Rentals was not yet on the scene, but that came a little bit later, uh, around 90, late 96, 97. So, you know, I, I could see, you know, the challenge in being able to grow the business as a, as a sole owner. I had acquired the company from my father in 1983. So I was now the sole owner of Ray Gordon Equipment and I started looking around for strategic options. Uh, so we sold the company uh, the company was sold in uh, in mid 1998 uh, to United Rentals, uh, July of 1998. So I became uh, an employee of United Rentals, and, and there I, I uh, uh, was a general manager for a while over 
the, the four locations that were the Ray Gordon locations. I moved on from that to become a regional fleet manager for the Northeast region, Eastern part of Canada, Northeastern United States. And uh, then I was offered a position in the head office of United in Greenwich, Connecticut as a, as a strategic sourcing manager. So up until that point, I'd never heard the term strategic sourcing manager. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know what that was, but when they explained it to me, it sounded like something I could do uh, and that I'd had some experience in that area. So I went to Greenwich, Connecticut. I had to go and buy a bunch of suits uh, because in those days, if you were going to work in the head office of United Rentals, you had to wear a suit. And so my wife and I went out to Harry Rosen's in Toronto and I bought five suits and I moved to Greenwich, I moved to Greenwich, Connecticut. And uh, so that was uh, 99. Yeah, 99. And then uh, in early 2000, they made me the vice president of fleet operations at United. So I had that position for about three years. And then I moved back over onto the operations side of the business and uh, ran uh, the Midwest uh, district in Wisconsin and Illinois, which at that time was the biggest district within United Rentals. We had a very large aerial business and all, uh, about 16 general rental locations. Uh, for family reasons, my uh, dad had passed away while I was out of the country. My mom was alone. Uh, and so, um, I talked to United about coming back to Canada and they said, yep, great. Uh, we'll, uh, we'd like to keep you on board. And so I uh, took a position as uh, I think the title was realty services manager, which was uh, which had responsibility for all of the real estate in Canada that United was uh, in. in. Uh, so all the locations. And I also did um, uh, part of the job was also business development. So uh, market analysis, uh, mergers and acquisitions, and, uh, and so on. So I remained with United until January of 2006. Uh, when I left to join a, a small private equity firm that was started up by one of the founders of United Rentals. And um, did that for three years. Uh, we did uh, we built a business in the veterinary space, uh, specialty veterinary hospitals uh, over that period of time. And then I got the itch to get back into the equipment rental business. So I started talking to people uh, around 2009. Uh, Daryl Cooper was a fellow I had known. Uh, I, knew, I knew his dad actually better than I knew Daryl because uh, our age difference was about nine years. But Daryl's dad had been in the business since 1972 and he had competed with Ray Gordon equipment in the market. So I knew the company. And uh, so I got talking to Daryl and uh, over the course of about a year, we put together a plan to partner up and, and uh, grow Cooper equipment rentals. So that was 2010. I joined Cooper equipment rentals as a partner. Wow. What a, what an amazing story that, that almost sounds like a script out of a book or something. <laughs> That's a, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing all that information. <laughs> that's the that's the that's the trouble when you get a guy my age on your podcast. You know the life story takes a long time. It it is impressive. All right, well, look, I want to go back in time a little bit. You mentioned that you grew Ray Gordon equipment by five or six times. Can you talk about some of the challenges and how you grew that business? Sure. I mean, I, I think I touched on it when I when I talked about the people and and the team, and then you know mapping a path forward. So. 
what do we want the business to look like? And, you know, what do we think we're good at that we can build on? And, and those were really the questions that we asked at that time. Uh, so that really simplified what we were going to do and uh, clarified for people uh, the direction. And most of the people at that point were coming from a point of being a little bit confused about what were we, who were we, you know, were we an equipment distributor? Were we a rental company? Uh, were we a parts and service company? Were, were we doing customer service work? You know, what were we, where do we fit? And so I think probably as I think back on it, that was the biggest thing, which was just sort of clarifying the, the business and the direction and simplifying things. And then, staying the course, I don't know, being consistent and continuing to work hard uh, on the things that we had all agreed that we were going to do. So um, it's not rocket science, um, but, you know, a lot of companies miss that. You know, they just, you know, kind of, I don't know, flounder or float a bit without ever really sort of mapping that out. And so you think it's important for people that are looking at growing their business to ensure that they're focused on what they're good at and not maybe be distracted by new things or other markets potentially? I mean, there's good and bad to that. You know, we, we uh, simplified the focus and we identified those industry segments that we felt we were really capable of serving well, uh, which included mostly civil construction, civil and utility construction. Um, and we sort of missed that wave of aerial access equipment which uh, was coming, was starting to come on pretty strong in the nineties. So, you know, there's good and bad, right? You know, we can do anything, I guess we just can't do everything. <laughs> but, you know, when I look back on it, you know, that was one of the areas that we just kind of, we just kind of missed that. It wasn't our, it wasn't our customer base. It wasn't our segment. It wasn't our focus. And uh, we let that sort of happen around us a bit. Okay, and so it'd be great to understand what it's like to be acquired by United Rentals. And then you obviously transitioned over to work with United Rentals. And what were some of the learnings that you got while you were there? Sure. So, I mean, the first part of your question is, what's it like to be acquired? And, you know, that really depends on what your goals are and, you know, what you've, what you've, view of what it should look like after an acquisition, you know, whether it's a strategic acquisition or a financial partner or whatever it is you're going for. So, you know, your experience post acquisition, you know, really depends on what your goals are in doing a, a sale or uh, something like that. Right. So the second part of your question was, you know, what was it like and what did you learn at United Rentals? I think, so let me just address the first part of the question which was, um, what's it like to be acquired? You know, for us, um, to be acquired by United Rentals, for me, was exciting. You know, in 1998, they were really just, you know, not, I guess, coming out of the gate, but they had only been out of the gate for about a year. <clears throat> and uh, the pace of acquisition, the pace of growth was incredible. So for me, that was extremely exciting. And the opportunity to go to sort of the heart of things in Greenwich, Connecticut and work with the senior leadership of United Rentals was an experience that I just would never be able to match uh, anywhere else. The education that I got 
and probably not so much in equipment rentals really, but uh, the education that I got in business and in finance and in marketing and in people and culture um, was invaluable. So, you know, for me, that was a real turning point. It was a great experience. And uh, I wouldn't have traded that for a world for the world. And, and, you know, and coming back and, and going into the position that I went into with, with Daryl, that that's what really gave us that piece to be able to take the business that at that time was two branches and about 20 people to, you know, 50 branches today and 700 people over the period of the last 10 years. So, you know, the other, um, uh, the other uh, part of your question was what was, I think I just answered probably both parts, but the other, you know, part of being acquired, I think that people should think about is that part that I talked about earlier, which is what do you want this to look like? What do you want it to mean to you afterwards? So, you know, there's, there's a sale where, you know, you're getting out of the business and this is a succession thing. It's an estate planning thing. And, you know, you're selling it, you're getting your money out of it and you're going away. Uh, then there's the sale where, you know, you have a, a plan that you would like to continue to pursue, but you know, you need finance, you need support, you need, so in our case at Cooper in 2013, that was where we were at. You know, we've, we've taken this business now from two branches to six branches. We've taken it from 2 million in revenue to, you know, 13 million in revenue. You know, we want to be 25 million in revenue, uh, you know, in the next two years, how do we get there? And so we started thinking about that and ran a process and went out to look for a partner that would support us in that plan. And uh, we were very fortunate to be able to partner with Seafort Capital uh, based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, that was July of 2013, I guess. Yeah, July of 2013 or the end of June. And, um, you know, we've never looked back. Uh, you know, the process that we ran identified at the end of the day, probably 20 people who were interested in buying the company. Uh, out of those 20, there were three that got really serious and made offers, <clears throat> excuse me, for the company. But at the end of the day, uh, we wanted to go with a partner who shared our vision and who we felt shared our values and were willing to support um, our culture and, and uh, you know, provide the things that we didn't have uh, you know, access to deal flow, uh, financing, uh, you know, finance capacity and so on. So, so yeah, so I, I think, you know, what's it like to be acquired? It, it really depends on what you're trying to achieve. Wow. That, that's some great insight into the acquisition process. And hopefully that provides some advice for any, any businesses that might potentially be going through that process. Now you touched on Cooper Cooper rentals briefly just before, and it'd be great to understand what it was like at Cooper Equipment Rentals when there was only two or three locations and, and what it's like today. And what were some of the challenges that you went through in trying to grow that business? Okay. Uh, well, Cooper's a great company. Um, it's a lot of fun to work there. Uh, in fact, fun is part of our mission. It's in our charter statement or in our Cooper difference statement. You know, what was it like? I mean, I can tell you uh, in the two locations that we had, uh, we had some great people. Uh, those people are still with us today. The locations, the facilities themselves were terrible. 
<laughs> I'll just be honest with you. Uh, you know, they needed to be upgraded. Um, you know, the facilities needed to be made, uh, you know, more workable, more usable, uh, more friendly for customers to come in and do business with us. You know, Daryl and I shared an office. And then uh, when Jim McInnes, our CFO, joined us, he shared the same office. So three of us were in the same office <laughs> until sometime in 2011, when we actually were able to move across the street into some offices and get out of the branch in Rexdale. You know, so that's what it was like. It was, it was very small. It was very easy to communicate with one another. It was very easy to share our values and to share our goals and our plans with everybody because there were only 20 people. Uh, and what we found as we grew was that became more difficult. You know, you get to 30 people, 60 people, 100 people, uh, you're spread out a bit. Uh, you can't be in every branch every day. So it becomes harder to, you know, get that message through. Somebody once said to me, you know, the further away you get from the mothership, uh, the weaker the signal becomes, right? So we had to find ways to, to communicate, ways to share, ways to help people see a vision or a picture of where the business was going. And uh, that's when we really started to think about, okay, you know, how do, how do we develop um, the kind of culture here uh, as we grow the number of people that work in this organization? How do we develop the kind of culture that we want that we had in those two locations, how do we replicate that across a much bigger organization? So um, we decided we had to get a little bit more formal about it. Uh, we actually had to write some things down <laughs> and uh, spell it out. You know, what did we really see the company becoming? So we did something, um, we did an exercise that we called the painted picture. We actually learned that from um, uh, a fellow here, uh, uh, Cameron Harold is his name. He's a writer. Uh, he's a sort of a marketing uh, guru, written a bunch of books. Um, and uh, we saw him speak uh, at an event. And, you know, what he said made a lot of sense. You know, if you can't show people a picture, how do you, how do you expect people to see themselves in that picture? Uh, if you can't share your vision, you know, explicitly, with people, how do you expect people to know what that what that vision is or what that picture looks like? So, uh, we did a three-year painted picture, uh, which went into great detail. It took about twelve minutes to read through it. Uh, we presented it uh, to our people, and we got the usual questions. Well, how? Because it was pretty aggressive, you know. It was we're going to triple the size of the company in three years. Uh, we're going to grow to X number of locations. We're going to have facilities that look like this. We're going to have trucks that look like this. We started thinking in terms of branding and marketing and all of that. So we got very specific right down to, you know, we want the customer experience to look like this when they come into our store, we want there to be a coffee machine and a place for customers to, to gather and, and, and chat with, you know, our folks on the counter and, and so on and so forth to make it a real nice place to come. And uh, lo and behold, three years later, uh, even though we, you know, there were some people scratching their heads when we rolled that out, uh, three years later, there we were, and we had exceeded everything in that plan. And so we rolled out the same thing for the next three years, and, and we've now done our third uh, painted picture for the company. So we, 
we take three year chunks and we, we uh, create uh, a painted picture of what the company is going to look like in three years. And doing that must really build up a, a very strong culture and trust within the organization as well. Well, I think what it does, if you want to have an empowered team, if you want people to make decisions, you have to give them some guideposts, right? They, you know, they, we don't have a lot of, uh, we don't have a big thick rule book of policies and procedures, but we do have the painted picture. So people know where we're going. So when, when they're faced with making a decision, they have that context. They can say, yeah, this seems like the right decision because it's, go it's taking me in the direction that I know we're going. Um, so that really helps. And the other thing about our culture uh, with our people is we really encourage them to try things um, and learn from their failures. You know, if you make a decision and it turns out not to have been the right decision, that's okay. What did you learn from it? What would you do differently next time? And so what's the current size and geography of Cooper Equipment Rentals? Uh, so we have uh, locations across Canada now. Uh, we're in uh, BC, Alberta, Ontario, Quebec, uh, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick. Uh, I think the actual count of branches is 48. And uh, the number of people is just right around 700. Wow, that's, that's a very different business in terms of size compared to when you first joined the organization. Yeah, it sure is. But, you know, part of our, uh, you know, we know we're a big company now or a bigger company now, but we, we really want our, uh, the feeling of doing business with Cooper Equipment Rentals to be that of, of doing business with a, a small company. We, we have a, a very flat uh, organization structure. Uh, it doesn't take very long to get a decision uh, at Cooper Equipment Rentals. Our branch managers have lots of autonomy to make decisions about fleet, um, you know, about the trucks, about the people, about the facilities. Um, you know, we, we give people a lot of latitude to run their businesses. And so are you giving the branch managers for each of the locations, the autonomy to run their own location as their own profit center? Yeah. So each branch is a, is a profit center. Each branch has its own P and L. Each branch manager is responsible for running that business. Um, they're not franchises. It's all company owned Cooper equipment, rental branches. You know, we have a regional structure where the branches are part of a region and we have regional managers that are responsible for the branches in that region. So it's not unlike, um, you know, it's not unlike the structure of, of a United rentals, for example. So yeah, you, you can, uh, and, and that's consistent across Canada. Okay. And you've obviously got something great going on with Daryl because you guys are, are really gelling, I guess is probably the right word in terms of making something special happen with Cooper Equipment Rentals. So how does that sort of relationship form in terms of working together? Well, I think, I think what's worked really well about our relationship is that, you know, I bring things to it and he brings things to it that are different. He grew up in the equipment rental business as well and had a very similar uh, experience and background in his youth as I had uh, growing up in a family company. You know, the difference is, you know, I sold our family business in the late nineties and became part of, you know, a much bigger organization, went a different direction. Daryl, you know, 
stayed with the Cooper Equipment uh, rentals and, and didn't get that sort of exposure or that experience. So, you know, I think he's, you know, well, look, I know, I know he's extremely happy with the way things have developed. Uh, we both are. Um, you know, it's been a great partnership. Uh, you know, people have told us that, you know, they've seen partnerships over the years that for the most part don't work very well. <laughs> and uh, so I think we're very fortunate that, you know, we, we bring a skill set and a background of experience and knowledge that's different uh, to an industry where we both have similar roots. So, you know, it, it's just, it's worked very well. Yeah, it sounds like you guys really complement each other, which is, yeah, it's really great to see. Now, look, I've done a little bit of research on Cooper equipment, and I I wanted to talk to you about one of your acquisitions in the past. So you acquired SMS equipment, and something unique about this was that they were almost twice your size. Now, that, that's, that's uh, not normal, <laughs> I guess, if you want to put it like that. So it'd be great to understand what it's like to acquire someone that is larger than you, and then also how you managed the culture and merging the businesses together. Yeah. So SMS, uh, this would have been 2015, uh, November, 2015, we closed the deal or November, 2015, we closed the deal on SMS. So SMS at that time, uh, as you say, it wasn't quite twice the size of Cooper, but you know, significantly larger, almost twice the size. But when you broke it down, uh, you know, what SMS was, was uh, 15 locations. Uh, Cooper was six. So and we knew how to run branches. Um, we uh, saw the opportunity in acquiring SMS. SMS was a, a division of a very large company, uh, Sumitomo, and uh, a very small part of that very large company. Um, you know, the business was underperforming and Having competed with SMS in the market, I think we knew, you know, where we could make changes that would improve the performance of the business. So we felt pretty confident in going in there that our, our style of doing business and the Cooper culture that we had developed would sit well with the people of SMS. We, we felt like, and I think, you know, we've been proven correct, that that would be well received. And uh, so really what we did uh, in going from six to 21 locations wasn't very much unlike what we did in going from two to six locations. Uh, it was um, communicating uh, our, our vision, working with the people, uh, taking the handcuffs off and letting, letting good people make decisions. And, letting them run with their businesses. And, you know, that whole, that whole sort of credo of letting people make mistakes. Uh, and it, it, it sounds counterintuitive. Why would you want people to make mistakes? But, you know, no, no uh, company that's been successful on the planet today has been making perfect decisions forever on every, on everything that they do. Right. This is, this is how you learn what works and what doesn't work. And I could say from my experience at United Rentals that a lot of the things that I learned at United were things that were amazing and that was I was able to bring to the party. But some of those things were things that I wouldn't do. 
you know, look, there's no arguing that United Rentals has built the biggest, strongest rental company in the world, and they've done a great job. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of really good people uh, in United Rentals doing a lot of great things. So, but, you know, we're, we're much smaller, so we have to be realistic about how we, how we approach uh, running the business and, and the culture and so on. So uh, we're very deliberate uh, about keeping that culture alive. Uh, Daryl and I uh, spend a lot of time uh, in the field, uh, you know, putting uh, sessions on for people that allow them sort of into the room and, and put their voice into the room on things like um, what it means to work together safely as a professional team. Uh, you know, what does putting customers first really mean? You know, we talk in our charter statement or our Cooper difference statement about smarter equipment solutions, but what is that? So, I mean, these are not just slogans. These are things that have to mean something to the people and people have to think about what they mean to them and, and voice what they mean to them for them to really sink in. So we understand that, um, you know, honest, fun, loving people is part of our culture. It doesn't mean we're all a bunch of goof offs, but we, it, it means that we recognize that it's important to, you know, enjoy your work and, and have friends at work and have fun doing what you do. So, um, you know, being honest is about giving customers bad news, uh, telling them what they need to know, uh, even though that's difficult to do and have those difficult conversations. So, um, so culturally, we felt like we were in a good spot to integrate that SMS acquisition and take the combined uh, businesses to the next level. That's amazing. That's some really, really good insight. Okay, so look, you've got some really good experience in the private equity firm side as well. And for people that don't know how to acquire private equity, can, can you sort of break it down simply? And then also maybe some tips on what people should, what questions people should be asking if they are seeking private equity? Uh, well, let's talk about the process first. Um, in our case, um, you know, I had worked with uh, at mergers and acquisitions uh, with people who did mergers and acquisitions, obviously being part of United Rentals from 1998 to 2008. Uh, I was in an environment where uh, mergers and acquisitions or acquisitions were happening every day. I think um, at one point, you know, I was uh, just thinking about the number of them and it was sort of 250 acquisitions in a period of about three years. So you can imagine the pace, right? So there was that kind of a culture there, which I was able to be part of and learn from. Um, so I knew some basics. Uh, one was you need to control the process. So for us, that meant getting an advisor, uh, an investment bank, and putting together a book on the business, what they call a confidential information memorandum or a SIM. We developed what they call a teaser, which is a one page sort of summary of, of the business. And then that 
investment bank uh, goes out to um, you know people who they think would have an interest um, and they could be strategic partners so other rental companies could be uh, other uh, investment companies or private equity firms uh, and that goes out and then you know they get uh, some feedback from that so some people say well I, we'd like more information they see the teaser that's interesting to them so yes we'd like more information so then they sign a non-disclosure agreement and they receive a copy of the confidential information memorandum and then you know they get involved in discussions with um, the bank or sorry the uh, advisor or the investment bank that was advising us and um, you know if they want to uh, have management meetings uh, those can be set up so uh, you know in that in, the, in that case it would have been me uh, my Daryl and our CFO who would go and sit with the potential buyer and have a meeting and discuss uh, answer any questions that they have discuss the business present present sort of what the business plan is what the future looks like and so on and uh, talk about what everybody's goals are and if there's a fit and then from that um, you know if they're interested in making an offer they would put together a, a letter of intent to acquire the business and uh, in our case we received a number of letters of intent I think five or six uh, we narrowed it down after further discussions and so on to uh, to three and out of the three we we chose a buyer so that's how the process worked for us I would always encourage anyone who's thinking of this to think about what it is they're trying to achieve what it looks like for them after and not just for them but for their people um, and and then to control that process uh, you know I, I know over the years of my experience I've had numerous calls from companies uh, you know, when you want to sell sort of thing, right? Um, and, you know, the answer is always, well, not now. We're, you know, we're focused on on building the best company we can build. Uh, there may come a time, but when we, when we, when that kind, when that time does come, you know, we'll be in control of that process because it's a real distraction. Um, and it can really take you away from your business if you're responding to stuff like that, providing information, having conversations like that while you're trying to run and grow your business. So you want to make sure that you're ready, uh, that you have a firm idea of what it looks like after, whether it's a strategic partner or financial partner that you're really interested in partnering with or selling to, and then control that process going forward. What great tips and, and you you really break it down so simply as well. You're really, really good at explaining that. All right. So how do you think that the equipment rental industry has changed over the past 20 or so years? Uh, well, I mean, consolidation, <laughs> you know, uh, 20 years ago, and it's still a highly fragmented industry, but it was completely fragmented industry. I think Hertz Equipment Rentals was probably the only, they were the biggest equipment rental company in the world 20 years ago. You know, now, you know, and I think at that time, 
you know, their revenues would have been in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Maybe I, I wouldn't even want to guess at what they were uh, over the course of the past 20 years. Uh, the, the rental industry has grown significantly in North America because of rental penetration. So uh, and I'm going to be guessing, but I, I, 20 years ago, I would guess that the out of the total equipment fleet in North America, probably somewhere around 20 to 25% of that was rental equipment 20 years ago. Now it's 50, 55% rental equipment. So the industry, the economics of renting for contractors have, have really been shown to be advantageous to contractors in managing their work or for industry and managing their manufacturing plants or their plant maintenance, you know, facilities development and so on. So, you know, equipment rental has really come into its own as a, I don't want to say a quote unquote real business, <laughs> you know, it, uh, you know, 20, 25 years ago, we were all sort of independent operators out there trying to figure it out, you know, selling a little bit of this, renting a little bit of that and, you know, that's, that's changed uh, the sophistication of managing equipment rental companies, the technology um, that we employ now compared to what we had 20 years ago. We had an annual financial statement 20 years ago. That's how we determined whether we were doing okay. You know, now we have daily uh, views of equipment utilization, both from a financial and a physical point of view. Uh, you know, we have, you know, yield reports, uh, we have hard down statistics. So we know how much of our equipment is sitting sidelined because it's not ready to be rented. All of these uh, metrics that the businesses are run by now, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, those really didn't exist. You know, you, you, uh, you looked at what you had in the yard, right? And, you know, that was what you had to rent today. And, you know, it's not, and that's a simplification, but it's not that far from the truth. And if you think about it, a lot of things have changed, but a lot of things are the same because even though we have 48 locations now, or United Rentals has the hundreds of locations that they have, they're still, you know, the senior teams, the leaders in that, in that company are still trying to figure out what's in the yard and what they need to rent today. <laughs> you know, but they have to use a lot of different tools to get that information. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's changed a lot. It's, it's grown a lot. Uh, you know, I mentioned aerial access equipment wasn't even really part of the picture 20 or 25 years ago. Now it's probably the biggest part of the picture. Yeah, that, that is definitely true. And I guess when innovation does occur and, and the, the forward thinkers adopt it, it, it sort of trickles down and the other companies adopted and the ones that don't can potentially be left behind as well. Yeah. And I think it helps everybody. It helps uh, lift everybody up. You know, if we're helping each other understand what the important drivers of the business are and why um, it allows for better decision-making and it allows for better businesses. And, you know, we're, we're all, we're always going to have competitors and that's good. That's a good thing. Um, you know, but if we're managing our businesses responsibly to a set of uh, metrics and criteria that matter, that really drive performance in the business, um, 
you know, nothing's going to get too crazy or too far off track, right? Okay. And look, we've spoken about a couple of people already, but who do you think really played a big influence on your career to date? Maybe you saw them as a mentor, but they, they were just a, a figure that played a big part in who you've become today. Yeah. I mean, obviously, given my background, my dad was a big influence. You know, I, I remember being asked the question by my uncle when I was probably five years old. I don't remember anything much earlier than when I was five years old, but and maybe I just remember it because he told me that's what I said, but he asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, you know, I told him I wanted to be an equipment guy. So he used to joke with me about that all the time. So my dad was a big mentor. Um, you know, when it came to crucial decision points in my life, you know, I've had, I've had the, uh, I've been, I've been uh, really fortunate to have good advisors, uh, people who've helped me make decisions. Uh, you know, my relationships with my legal counsel or, 40 year relationships, um, their friends, as well as lawyers. Um, you know, they've helped me decide important things around lending financing. When we were going through recessions in the early eighties and early nineties, you know, I had to have some tough conversations with lenders and suppliers and, you know, my, my counsel at the time was, you know, be open with people, be honest with people, tell them what you can do, tell them what you can't do and be in constant communication with them. Um, you know, answer the phone when they call you, but better yet, call them and talk to them and tell them what's going on. So, you know, great advice like that just came from friends, um, really. When it came time to make a decision whether or not to go to the United States, it was one of my buddies, one of my lawyer friends who said, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, just think of the opportunity. Just think of the experience that you're going to get. I had all the usual concerns and questions around family and what if it doesn't work? And he said, forget all that, you know, go with an open mind and, and, and learn, always be learning. Right. So the guy that I worked for at United Rentals was a fantastic guy. You know, his, his background was uh, Xerox, I think he had 14,000 people working under him at Xerox. So the perspective that he had on operations and people and uh, culture were, you know, just so insightful and so helpful to me in developing that learning that I needed. And uh, so there've been lots. Uh, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't say I got, you know, I had a mentor when I was 20 and that's the guy that made me what I am today. Uh, there have been many. Yeah, you're very lucky to have so many great people in your life. All right, well, look, my final question is is a big one. So it's, how do you define success? And what do you think was a defining moment for you? Wow, uh, good question. Yeah, I mean, I think how I would define uh, success would be in terms of reputation, uh, in terms of balance, you know, how have I managed to balance my family and my business life? You know, if someone was talking about Doug Doherty after I'm dead, what would they say about me? You know, hopefully they would say that I was an honest guy and I worked hard and I treated them well and made them feel important. To me, that's what success is. 
And uh, what was the second part of your question? <laughs> All good. Uh, the second part of the question was, what do you think was a defining moment? I'd say picking up stakes uh, from what I knew and from what I was comfortable with here in Ontario and, you know, moving to the United States and taking that risk, taking that chance. Uh, that would have been a defining moment for me, for sure. I would agree. And, and I think sometimes, doesn't matter who you are, you've, you've got to take that leap or that risk to really learn more and put yourself out there. Yeah, to broaden your horizons. And, uh, you know, I, my, my granddaughter was over the other night. She's applying to private school here in Toronto, and she asked me to help her with her admissions application. And, you know, so some of the questions, and she asked me, you know, how to, to help her think about some of the answers to some of the questions that they were asking. And, and I just, I don't remember the exact question, but you know, the answer was always, always have an open mind, always, always be learning and uh, thinking about things from other people's perspectives, uh, putting yourself in other people's shoes, trying new things, daring to fail. You know, it's, it's good advice for living for anybody. Hey, what a great way to finish. Well, that wraps up our discussion. I really appreciate you coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It's been fun. Please like, share, follow the Rental Journal podcast and hope to see everyone in next week's episode. Bye.